Good morning. Just good job, Ronald. I just want to clarify a little bit, add to the, what we're doing leading up to the election, 7 for the 8th. The election is on November 8th. That's a Tuesday. We're going to take the seven days before that Tuesday, starting this Wednesday night, day one. At a, we're going to have a prayer meeting in here. And then we're going to take the next six days up, leading up to that Tuesday and just fast and pray as the Lord would lead you in fasting, but to pray for these things. I'll send out a little email, just a little something to encourage that. And then on election day, we'll be in that room from 7 to 8, 7 in the morning till 8, praying on the hour for about 50 minutes. So if you can come any, any top of the hour for about 50 minutes, we're going to pray all day. The, the, uh, polls clo- the, yeah, the polls close at 8, so we're going to go up till 8 o'clock and just pray and ask the Lord because, Ronald, like what you were saying, it is a crazy, crazy uh, direction we're heading. And we know, I believe with all my heart, and this is not something that just sort of happened for me, but over the course of the pandemic and then watching the news and getting mad and getting frustrated and all those things, God's on the throne. He is supreme. He is working out his plans. Even this morning, we're going to look at faith in the judgment of God. God will judge. He will take care of these things, but all in his magnificent grace, mercy, hope that he gives to us. And I, what I like to think for myself, and I'm, I think for you also, we just got to stay at it in prayer. We got to stay at it being in the word. We got to stay at it being in fellowship. And then as the Lord is allowing things to, to happen, we're thinking, what's going on? I always have to reflect back on just the, 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 prophet, the prophet Habakkuk who's saying, what in the world are you doing, Lord? How can you allow a, a nation more evil than us to judge us. Hey, in, in, in this way, for me, our nation forsook God and has forsaken the Lord. So we're, we're like Billy Graham said many years ago, if, if God doesn't judge America, he has to apologize for Sodom and Gomorrah. And as we look at what's going on, we can see all that stuff, but not through the lens of my, the, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. How many of you would say amen to that? I can get as mad as I want, and all it does is it damages me. It gets me going in the wrong direction. So my eyes are on the Lord. Our eyes are on the Lord. From whence cometh our help? Our help comes from the Lord. And he will indeed accomplish the things that he said he will accomplish. And we get to be a part of that. And I want to be a part of that. I want to be walking by faith. I want to have the hope that's given to me through Jesus Christ. He is supreme, King of kings, Lord of lords. He is going to come back. He's going to set up a kingdom, and we shall reign for how long? Amen. Stand. Let's, uh, so also, at, at the table outside uh, for just educating, equipping, encouraging us as far as these uh, things that are going on in our governments. So Hebrews 11:7, one verse, and then I want to do a little responsive reading from Psalm 19 concerning the law of the Lord. The word that we're reading. So in Hebrews eleven seven, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, didn't happen yet, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. So in, in Psalm 19, I'll read the odd verse and those following, and you, if you'd read the verse 8 and the even verses together, I will begin. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, 
making wise the simple. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, thank you, thank you for your word. Just these things you say, it's perfect. It converts the soul. It's sure. It makes us wise. It rejoices our hearts. It enlightens our eyes. It endures forever. Lord, we thank you for your word. We want to stay ever anchored to the things that are therein, receiving what you've given to us with a heart of full assurance, believing these things, walking according to them. Even it says, and by them your servant is warned. Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen. So please, Jesus, minister to our hearts today as only you can. Draw us to yourself, the one who, has di who died on the cross to save us from our sins. Deliver us from all, all the judgments that we rightly deserve. We are thankful for you, Lord. We bless your name. We ask now, Holy Spirit, come. Bless us with the word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. A priest and a pastor are standing by the side of the road holding up a sign that reads, quote, The end is near. Turn yourself around now before it's too late. Leave us alone, you religious nuts, yelled the first driver that sped by. From around the curve, they heard a screeching of tires and a big crash. Do you think, said one clergy to the other, we should just put up a sign that says, bridge out instead? <laughs> Faith and the judgment of God. Let me give you a, a, three things that, that I am pulling from this as I study. God will always warn before he judges. Sin will be judged. Jesus died on the cross to take the penalty of sin for our sin. So Jesus has borne the judgment of God, but there is one sin that God cannot forgive because it's the rejecting of the very one he sent in order that we might be forgiven. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Sin will be judged. Secondly, God will always be moved, faith will always be moved with godly fear. In other words, we need to fear sin. We need to be take to heart the warnings concerning sin, the death that sin brings. Sin kills. When, you, when I sin and you sin, it, something is killed. Maybe it's a relationship. 
Maybe it's something of resolve that I had. When I'm sinning, when I'm giving into sin, it kills. the wages of sin is death. That's what the payment is. Third, faith will always prepare accordingly. Say amen. Faith will always prepare accordingly. God will, will always warn us before he judges. Faith will always be moved with godly fear. Faith will always prepare. God will save. God can save. So in this one verse is a whole boatload of Scripture (laughs) about Noah. One verse captures what God is seeking to tell us through his life. So the historical account is recorded in Genesis 5 through 10. Noah was born to Lamech. His name Noah means comfort. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Noah and his wife, who was Joan of Arc, in case you didn't know. I got some really bad jokes today, so this is just a running start. This is warm up. This is prime. He had his three sons, so Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives, eight souls, were saved through the flood, saved through judgment. They repopulated the whole earth, giving rise to all nations on the earth then and to this day came from these eight people. So why the flood? Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This is one of those ugly verses. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Such wickedness and evil was never what God intended in creating man. But neither did man's grievous sinfulness thwart God's intention in his relationship with man. That's never changed. That's why the next verse says, but Noah found grace in the sight, in the eyes of the Lord. There it is. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, the Lord looked on Noah, as it were, to find and found a way to be gracious. It also has the idea of Noah, love this, Noah looking into the eyes of the Lord and experiencing the gaze of his grace. You see, he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We find grace in the eyes, and that gaze is an intimacy. When you look into someone's eyes, and what Noah looked upon were the eyes of the grace of God. Fantastic. So, why an ark? Noah was God's grace for a world doomed to destruction. 
120 years, God said, was the drop-dead date for the judgment to come. 120 years. Now, if we take into account the births of, the, of Noah's sons, a good guesstimate as to how long Noah was actually building the ark would be 70 to 75 years. But Noah was not just minding his own business and discreetly going about to build the ark. Hardly. Now, in the year 2020, the Lord came unto Noah and said, once again, the earth has become wicked and overpopulated, and I see the end of all flesh before me. Build another ark and save two of every living thing along with a few righteous humans. He gave Noah the blueprint saying, you have six months to build the ark before I will start the unending rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Six months later, the Lord looked down and saw Noah weeping in his yard, but no ark. Noah, he roared, I'm about to start the rain. Where is the ark? Forgive me, Lord, he begged Noah, but things have changed. I need a building permit. I've been arguing with the inspector about the need for a sprinkler system. My neighbor claims that I violated the neighborhood's zoning laws by building the ark in my yard and exceeding the height limitations. We had to go to the Development Appeal Board for a decision. Then the Department of Transportation demanded a bond be posted for the future costs of moving power lines and other overhead obstructions to clear the passage for the ark's move to the sea. I told them that the sea would be coming to us, but they would hear nothing of it. Getting the wood was another problem. There's a ban on cutting local trees in order to save the spotted owl. I tried to convince the environmentalists that I needed the wood to save the owls, but no go. When I started gathering the animals, an animal, an animal rights group sued me. They insisted that I was confining wild animals against their will. They argued the accommodations were too restrictive, and it was cruel and inhumane, and inhumane to put so many animals in a confined space. Then the EPA ruled that I couldn't build the ark until they conducted an environmental impact study on your proposed flood. I'm still trying to resolve a complaint with the Human Rights Commission on how many minorities I'm supposed to hire for my building crew. Immigration and naturalization are checking the residential status of most of the people who want to work. The trades unions say I can't use my sons. They insist I have to hire only union workers and arc built with arc building experience. To make matters worse, the tax office seized all my assets, claiming I'm trying to leave the country illegally with endangered species. So forgive me, Lord, but it would take at least 10 years for me to finish this ark. Suddenly the skies cleared. The sun began to shine, and a rainbow stretched across the sky. Noah looked up in wonder and asked, You mean you're not going to destroy the world? No, said the Lord. The government clearly beat me to it. <laughs> I stole that from somewhere. So Noah was not just minding his own business and going about to build the ark sort of quietly, hardly. So we have in the scriptures more details. Peter, in, listen, the context of Peter's epistles is the warning against false prophets who come in and say, ah, don't worry about it. He writes, verse 19 of chapter 3, Jesus went and preached to the saints in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering, notice, 
waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. Now, there's much in this passage, but for this study, the point is that the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. So, Noah was God's grace for a world doomed to destruction, but Noah was God's long-suffering in waiting in a world doomed to destruction. Waiting. 70, 75 years, maybe 120 if we want to add that to what God said earlier. Now, Peter picks this up again details in his second epistle. In 2 Peter 2, 4 and 5, for if God did not spare the ancient world but saved Noah, one of eight people, notice, a preacher of righteousness bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. In other words, Noah is a preacher. He is preaching righteousness. He is preaching repentance. Yes, he's building, but he's also preaching. He's building, but he's also telling people why he's building, what's going on. And so for 70 plus years, while Noah prepared the ark, he was preaching of coming judgment that had never been seen, would be the last thing you think could really ever happen. Yet he's doing just that, warning them. God will always warn before judgment. Sin will be judged. Sinners will be judged. Faith will always be moved with godly fear. So the point here is sin must be feared. The warnings against sin are replete throughout the scriptures. To believer and unbeliever alike, but more in, to the, in the believer's life of what can happen when sin is allowed. It's like leaven. It corrupts. It corrupts completely if not dealt with. So we're told and warned over and over by God because of his love for us through the power of the Holy Spirit, deal with the sin in your life. It must be dealt with. Godly fear. Faith will always prepare accordingly. So we think of these two truths and we realize, how am I living my life? Noah prepared an ark for the saving of his household. He did what God told him to do for the sake of his family and also himself. So Peter keeps us tracking. This is important for me, for you. Peter keeps us tracking as far as the heart of God in judgment. In 2 Peter, he says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The context is judgment. The context is perishing. The context here is saying God has said, promised, there will be judgment. And Peter, we'll look at this at the end of the study. There will be judgment. But God's not willing any should be judged, should perish, but should come to what? Repentance. Come to an understanding that we need to get this thing right with God. God warns before he judges because God loves us. God so loved the world 
So God was grieved in his heart because of all those who would perish. The Bible says that the judgment of God is God's strange work, his strange act, Isaiah chapter 28. Jesus wept over Jerusalem in seeing the judgment that was going to be coming because they had rejected him. Now, his judgment is not God's jollies. In Revelation 8.1, there is silence in heaven for about half an hour before the seventh seal was to be opened, which then is the first trumpet sounding of the wrath of God poured out in judgment. Silence. Paul exemplifies the heart of God. The warning, when Paul warned the Ephesian elders, Acts 20, therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul saw it clearly. And he's warning the Ephesian elders. He said, I warned you with tears. The, the weeping of the eyes. It's the same way that God sees it. Paul warned the Corinthians. He said, I do not write these things to shame you. But as my beloved children, I warn you. Parents, grandparents, we get it. I wanna, I'm warning you. Paul warned the Colossians. He said, him we preach, Jesus, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Paul's whole desire was to see a life on the straight and narrow, walking with God and doing that all the way through to the end. And he said, I'm work that's my heart. That's my I'm working for that end. Who was not warned by God? God I, look, perfect Adam was warned by God in a perfect garden. You shall not eat. Brother Cain was warned, warned, warned by God as to the danger of his anger. We looked at him. Lot was warned by God to get out of Sodom and do it now. Paul said, flee youthful lusts to Timothy. Blameless Job was warned by God. Faithful Abraham was warned by God. Humble Moses was warned by God. And of course, proud Pharaoh was warned by God, not taking heed to those. The leaders and the people of Israel were warned by God continuously. It's a part of his love. So that judgment will not happen. Nations and their leaders were warned by God before he judged. God warns a nation. But before that nation, but that, that nation, the net, before that, <laughs> got it. God warns a nation 
But for that nation to be delivered necessitates, listen, it necessitates the individual people of that nation come to fear God, repent, and hope in God's mercy. Individual. The wicked city of Nineveh is a case in point. When God's reluctant messenger, Jonah, finally caught a bluber, well, it was blubber, but modern day it's bluber. He caught a oop. Okay, I thought that was a good joke. <laughs> he finally catches the whale to Nineveh. The whole city, the king, all the governing authorities, all the politicians took heed, repented, and were spared judgment by God. A scarce 100 years later, they did not take the heed. They did not take heed to God's warning and perished. Listen to what God said to Ezekiel about a city and nation under judgment. The word of the Lord came to me again, Ezekiel 14, saying, Son of man, when a land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness, I will stretch out my hand against it. I will cut off its supply of bread, send famine on it, and cut off man and beast from it. Even if these three men, there it is, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord. He repeats that four times. Ezekiel was called by God as a watchman. And so this calling had great responsibility. When God warns, he warns many times through us, his people. Speaking the word of God, bringing truth to bear. But Ezekiel, but he said to Ezekiel, son of man, chapter 3, verse 17, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth, that's the first necessity, and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that some wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I require at your hand. Yes, if you warn, yet if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die. Judge will come his iniquity, but, but you have delivered your soul. There's a responsibility, and that is very serious. So I have to ask myself in that, why am I afraid of that? Why is it? You see, and to me, it comes back to understanding a response of godly fear. In understanding that I need to be preparing accordingly as God's spokesman to a needy, lost, condemned world. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world. Noah's godly fear in believing God condemned the world. Noah's preparing accordingly by obeying God condemned the world. It's the same truth for any of God's people. Our lives, believing what God has said to be true, is true. Our lives, in living them according to what God has declared to us in His Word, in simply doing what God said to do, condemns the world. They look at it and they hate it. 
It makes them squirm. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah, verse 9 of Genesis 6. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. That's the indication of God's person, being God's man. Let me say it again. He was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. He walked with God. God help us. An interesting observation, Noah's life. Genesis 6, God said to Noah, make yourself an ark. Verse 7, the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark. Chapter 8, then God remembered Noah. 8.15, then the Lord spoke to Noah saying, go out of the ark. Verse chapter 9, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Chapter 9 again, then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, I'll establish my covenant with you. And God said, chapter 9, verse 12, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant. So the interesting thing here is, you know, I, I don't know, probably some of you in this room grew up listening to Bill Cosby's <laughs> humorous account of this thing that went on between God and Noah. So Noah, I want you to build me an ark. What's an ark? I want you to make it 300 cubits. What's a cubit? And, and so Bill Cosby goes through this whole thing, very funny. How many of you have heard that? Okay. But here's the interesting thing. There is no record in the whole Bible of Noah ever saying one word. God said, God spoke, God said, but Noah never says a word. He wasn't a man of few words. He was a man of zero words. He simply did what God said to do. No fanfare. He was a preacher, yes. We aren't told what he was, what he, but he was preaching righteousness. I thought, Lord, you got to help me. See, this thing called the tongue. It's something God's given to us to declare his praises and to preach his gospel. And so, as I think Noah did according to the word of the Lord, Noah did according to what the Lord commanded, he just simply did what God told him to do. I say, Lord, help me, help us to do what you're calling us to do. Courageously without fear, that we might be those who God used. Our lives are used by God, even without saying a word, that the world sees something that's different, something that's living according to something that's coming. For 70 plus years, he was simply building and preaching, and no one took him seriously. Now, that has to be discouraging. Jesus tells it will be no different in these last days than it was for Noah in his days. In Luke chapter 17, as it was in the days of Noah, so will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, and they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all, only eight, his family, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. Nobody was listening. No one was believing. No one was taking it seriously. Jesus said this 
If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because, yet because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. On Wednesday night, Elizabeth Bonowitz, I forget what that cup said, but it was something like, do you remember what it said? She had this cup and she had this, the world's going to hate you. That's not a, something we put on our teacups. But maybe it, she even said that. Maybe it should be. The world is going to hate us. They're going to hate being called into the light. Remember the word I said to you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. They don't know Jesus. They don't know God. We should expect nothing different. John 15, he continues, if I had not come and spoken to them, they'd have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. If I had not done among them, he who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have no, they have seen and also hated both me and my father. So Jesus says, my words and my works are rejected. Why? They hate Jesus. They hate God. Jesus said, but this happened that the world word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. You wonder, why would someone hate Jesus? Very simple. They don't know him. They don't want to know him. They don't know God. They don't want to know God. So our lives in loving God, in obeying God, in speaking for God, in saying that we heard from God, it condemns. John, 1 John 3.13, do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. The truth about Jesus is the light that condemns an unrepentant world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his world, son into the world to condemn the world, but that the, command, but the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe, notice, is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Same as in Noah's day. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth, comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have done, been done in God. I'm reading a book right now called No Reason to Hide by Erwin Lutzer. I wanted to share this little part with you. It's page 29 and 30 of the book itself. Quote, If you want to be known as a Christian who doesn't want to stir up discontent, if you want to live and let live, you probably need not read these pages. But if you would like to think through what living for Christ really means in the culture, in the culture that for the most part is shaking its fist in God's face, I pray this book will be of help. If you are a deeply committed Christian living in the so-called public square, hiding is no longer an option. As I see it, 
The challenge for us today is this. Will we interpret the scriptures through the lens of culture? Or will we interpret culture through the lens of scripture? Which of these will be our ultimate authority? Pressure is building for us to surrender to culture and tailor our teaching to make it compatible with the spirit of our times. I believe God is calling us to a level of commitment we've not experienced before. Jesus predicted days like this would come. We need to rise together and say that Christ means more to us than the approval of culture. He means more to us than our salaries and reputation. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. Jesus is worth anything we risk for, anything we risk for his name. Ours is a choice between anger or optimism, between fear or courage, between self-pity or joy. Even a stowaway must swim or drown when the boat in which he is hiding, in which he's hiding has been torpedoed. Neutrality is impossible. Surrender, sink, or swim. There is no reason to hide, unquote. Again from Peter, he said this, for the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? If we're living that out, we judge ourselves, we're understanding that these things, what about those who don't obey the gospel? Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good. In doing good. That means optimism and courage and joy. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful Christ. Lord, we're committed to you. He became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Noah was blameless among the people of his time. He walked with God. And so he went in as God commanded him. He entered and went in as God commanded him. Only those who were with him in the ark remained alive. Noah built an altar when it all was over. He came out of the ark and he built an altar to the Lord. That was the beginning of a whole new life. An altar to the Lord. God blessed Noah. God spoke to Noah and said, I'm going to establish my covenant. And then three times says, never again. Never again. Never again. What? Judgment through the flood. And God has been faithful to that covenant with Noah and will remain so. That will never happen again. God accomplished what he was what he wanted to accomplish through Noah, his wife, their three sons, and their wives. He repopulated the earth, all the nations. He started over. He cleaned the planet, started over. Is it any better today? Well, no. But what God said, I'm never going to do what I did for Noah. But, again, we'll go to Peter, and I want to close with this chapter. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both of which, both epistles, I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken by the holy apostles, prophets and the commandments of us, commandment of us, the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing this first, 
that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. There's another judgment coming. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not only that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. We read this in the scriptures off as a thief in the night. We're warned about that. In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the horks that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be, here it is, in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells, heirs of righteousness. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him, by him in peace, without spot and blameless. This is the work of God through the Holy Spirit in sanctifying our lives as we simply do what he said to do. As also our brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, has written to you, you therefore, verse 17, you therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, this is no new, had, we know before, this is coming. Judgment. Beware lest you also fall from your own steadfast. I hope you're encouraged this morning in being courageous, in being gracious, in having our minds fixed on these things that are coming in order to then guide us in how we're living now. Notice, being led, but with the, but being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with me as the worship team could come out? God will always warn before he judges. And we have gotten lots of warnings seen vividly. Judgment is coming. But faith will always be moved with godly fear. So for me personally, we need to fear sin. Do you ever stop and think a moment if someone were to find you out? Find something out? That should put the fear of God in my heart and your heart, and it does. So the whole idea, we're going to be moved with godly fear as to how I'm living now. 
And therefore, I'm going to prepare accordingly. I'm just going to seek to live my life doing what God said to do. And I don't think that that's complicated. However, it requires the full power of the Holy Spirit in our lives in being born again and then seeking Him in all the things that are going on in our lives. So let's worship the Lord.